You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Magnet Podcast. I am Lewis Kornfeld. Uh, today I am speaking with the great and versatile Michael Lutton. Michael, thank you for talking. <laughs> thank you, Lewis. Thanks for having me. Oh uh, yeah, a pleasure. Uh, um, uh, among... Michael's many achievements. Uh, uh, you co-star in the made-up musical here at the Magnet on Fridays. Uh, you are also a member of the sketch team, which I wrote down. Oh my goodness gracious! <laughs> I have it stocked in. Yep. Uh, um, a, a terrific first-rate improviser in your own right. You teach level one uh, uh, improv here at the Magnet. You teach musical level one and level three, and you're also the man in charge of musical megawatt in our showcase for all of our house teams. So I want to start off uh, um, by talking about that, but getting into the many other hats that you wear. Uh, um, being the person in charge of Musical Megawatt, and you've probably seen more musical shows than anybody. Yeah, uh, probably the only person who's seen more is probably uh, Frank Spitznick. Yeah, okay, <laughs> well, yeah, that, but that goes with that. Sorry, that's, that guy's a different beast entirely. Uh, um, what makes for a really great musical improv show? Uh, good question. Um I think, you know, there's lots of things. First of all, like, you know, with musical, we try to tell a story. Uh, we try to have a narrative. Um, so if you can have like a simple narrative kind of through line to the show, that's mm -hmm. very important. Uh, and it's, you know, easier said than done. Um, so if you can have a, a story with like a clear and strong protagonist with a strong want uh, and some like strong characters from the very top of the show and we see them through uh, the show, kind of see them grow and develop. Mm -hmm. Um but at the same time, like in order for the show to really be fun and enjoyable for both the performers and the audience, uh, you have to not worry about that too much. Mm. So it's kind of um, it's uh, it's it's a tough thing to to do in the moment because you know you're focused on a lot of things in a musical show. Uh, you're focused on you know the the music, of course, uh, support work like coming out and doing backline dancing and background vocals and stuff like that. Even if you're not you know. Uh, the two people singing the song that's happening. Um, and, uh, you know, in, <clears throat> in addition to doing all of the basic scene work that you would do in a regular improv show, you're also trying to keep an eye on the story that's being told. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of moving parts. Um, and for a really successful show, you know, you want to have that simple story pay off at the end. Um, you want to see, like, the protagonist either get what they want or not. It doesn't necessarily matter. But there has to be that kind of conclusion to really feel satisfying. Mm -hmm. Um, but you also want to have the performers, uh, enjoying themselves and not worried too much about that. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of finding that fine line between, you know, doing your basic work and making sure the narrative happens, but also giving yourselves the freedom to find, uh, patterns, finding kind of like, um, uh, fun, like character side games to do, uh, allowing yourself to go off on tangents and stuff like that, but still then bringing it back. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you can have that simple story and, uh, you know, commitment to the musical numbers that happen, then it will probably more often than not be a good show. And all that done in the range of about 30 minutes. That's right. For yeah. your average show. It's biting off a lot. It's yeah. So many different things to be juggling at the same time. How do you balance it when you're performing in a show? How do you keep an eye on the big picture as well as like your specific drives, your character drives. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's a matter of, I think, keeping it simple is really, really important. Mm -hmm. um, and then not overthinking it too much. Mm -hmm. um, I remember back when I was, you know, kind of uh, learning how to do this, um, 
I would always try to make the story more complicated than it needed to be. Yeah. Uh, just because I thought maybe that's more interesting, right? If we throw in more elements like this, um, like, you know, if this character is a secret murderer or mm. something like that. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not helpful at mm. the end of the day, especially if you're doing a short, shorter show. Um, so just focusing on, like, you know, what is the story that's being told here? Um, and it's also very helpful, I've found, to kind of just embrace, like, certain, like, tropes and story, uh, like, archetypes. Um, you know, it's usually after the opening number and the first scene, you know, the your options become very, very narrowed. You're already kind of starting to tell a certain type of story. And it's just important to notice, uh, you know, kind of as a group, what is this type of story that's being told? Mm-hmm. You know, are we, um, is it like a classic, like, hero's journey kind of story? Or is this like, um, uh... Uh, a romantic comedy is this an action flick or you know something like that Mm -hmm. and you know if you can kind of key into that then you have all those tropes to fall back on and then the arc kind of takes care of itself because you already know how that story works how much of what you're trying to accomplish with the show is kind of parody in your mind and how much of it is um uh letting a spontaneous story kind of take care of its own telling because having that as an opening, like deciding beforehand and letting the tropes of, of that particular genre Mm -hmm. kind of tell it, uh, um, uh, is there sort of like an affectionate tongue in cheek quality that you're after with that? Mm -hmm. Or what's your sensibility? Uh, good. Another good question. Uh, I'd say, you know, it's gotta be, it's a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, part of like what we're doing is kind of making fun of musicals in some way. Yeah. Um, uh, but the audience isn't there really to see you guys up on stage, uh, making fun of musicals and the way musicals work. Um, they want to see a musical show. And so you also have to, uh, you know, honor, uh, you know, uh, the way musicals work. Um, uh, and you have to, uh, <laughs> how can I put this? Um, you want to, uh, try and, uh, you have to emotionally commit to what you're doing mm-hmm. um so and if you're doing that then you can't make fun of it as much as like you might want to from the outside yeah so when you're in it you've got to just kind of commit to those emotions and treat those emotions as if they are you know real and legitimate yeah and if you're doing that then the satirical elements and the you know the parody will come into it kind of inevitably mm-hmm. um uh, but as a performer you can't really be worried about that too much you can't be thinking um how can I make fun of this thing? You want to just, um, you know, in the moment, focus on what's my character's viewpoint, uh, how am I feeling right now, and then just heighten that. Yeah, heighten, heighten, heighten. Yeah, there's already, uh, uh, and and please correct me if uh, you think I'm wrong about this, but there's already an element to musical in general as a as a former presentation mm-hmm. um that's sort of like inherently ridiculous yeah it's very cheesy <laughs> it's very cheesy and and the form itself is so unrealistic um uh, not just in the fact that people don't normally sing and dance but also mm-hmm. in the fact that it tends to repeat a lot of tropes that are pulled more from the world of movies in the world of showbiz than from real life but to me that's one of the things that actually really works in its favor because acknowledging that this is already so fake Mm -hmm. creates the perfect container for people to then commit to an emotional perspective yeah Uh, 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 um uh 
and get a kind of size out of their emotions that you wouldn't get to normally experience in a show that is a little bit more realistic. Yeah. And so there's something more expressive to it because in a really great musical show, improvised or otherwise, um, you end up having this experience that I think helps to embody the way we actually feel about our emotions that mm-hmm. are, you know, in my own inner life, um, you know, there's like a destiny at work. Yeah. You know, and my feelings are enormous and, and being restrained by the pressures of the world around me. Mm-hmm. But in the objective world that I inhabit with other people, the world of social relations, I'm just like one cog among many other cogs in this machine. Yeah. You know, um, and musical as a form has a really amazing way of being able to tap into that, that by having the context of sort of a re- parody isn't exactly the word I'm going for. But the thing where it's like, OK, I, I can't quite believe it's impossible to take this too seriously. Yeah. It indirectly leads it to this heart of uh, um, an insight into how it actually feels inside of a person. It's a rambling, nonsensical statement. No, but I, I know what you mean where it's, um, you know, it's what's charming about musicals. And I think it's why, you know, musicals, you know, kind of endure, even though uh, they are kind of cheesy and ridiculous. Uh, but the reason they work is that, you know, we all walk through our day-to-day life, you know, uh, with our, you know, very strong emotions and in a musical, people are given the chance to kind of express that emotion to uh, its nth degree. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I think that's why we're all drawn to musicals, uh, for that reason. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I always thought that, you know, uh, you know I, I, I was, I've always been a fan of musicals. Um, and I always thought life would be better if we were allowed to do that mm-hmm. in, in day-to-day life, if we were allowed to just stop for a moment and just, you know, uh, sing and dance about how we feel. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, musical improv is the only uh, thing that I've found in life that um, uh, lets you do that. Yeah. So I, that's what I like about it. Yeah. How, I'm curious because uh, um, you're also a first-rate uh, just improviser in general, oh. even when you don't have the opportunity to sing and dance. Well, thank you, Louis. <laughs> thank you, Michael. <laughs> uh, uh, um, how, what has been the crossover for you in becoming a musical improviser? How has that bled into your non-musical improv? Ah, good question. Um, I'd, uh, I think it's made my, uh, regular, you know, I guess we'll call it regular improv. Is that, I feel I, weird. I, don't, I feel it, weird saying that. But. Any phrase seems insulting. Yes, it? it really does. Um, uh, but for lack of a better word, um, we'll, we'll work on one later. Yeah. Um, I'd say it, it, it's made my, uh, non-musical improv, uh, better. Um, because, you know, uh, musical improv is, uh, a lesson in commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, uh, and heightening as well uh you can't do musical improv without you know committing to your character and your viewpoint uh and then heightening that to an almost unreasonable degree Mm -hmm. um and uh, that's why i think that uh every improviser should take at least one musical improv class to get kind of like a a taste of what that's like Mm -hmm. uh because it does uh affect the way that you would perform in a non-musical show uh you learn how to key very quickly into what's your emotion uh, and how can I heighten this? And how also does it relate to the other person that I'm on stage with? Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, uh, it's it sounds a little self-indulgent when I just talk about, like, my character, my viewpoint, my um, my emotions right now. Uh, but it's it's not just that. It's also, it's always in relation to the other person that's on stage with you. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, when, you, uh, you know, and like in a good, uh, you know, the elements that go into a good uh, improv scene are the same things that go into a good musical improv scene. You have to have two uh, strong characters who care about what's happening and that are affecting each other. 
Um, and, you know, in a good musical song, uh, in a good, um, I'm sorry, an improvised song, um, uh, the best ones always come out of the relationship dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, the song's always an expression of how the two people are affecting each other emotionally in that moment. Um, and so that's why, you know, when you uh, train to do musical improv, that's kind of, uh, that's like bedrock. You learn to do that very early on, mm-hmm. and it's very helpful for uh, just scene work in general for even non-musical shows. You have to be very in touch with your responses to things. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of, um, there can be a lot of uh, dicking around on stage, for lack of a better phrase. Mm-hmm. You can kind of be in a scene and go from moment to moment without waiting for inspiration to strike. Yeah. And you can kind of be in this weird place. I mean, I experience this a lot where you're sort of detached from your own responses. You don't really know what you think in that moment, whether that's just politeness or whether it's, I don't know what it is. You don't want to be an exhibitionist or whatever. Sure. One thing that is really great about, uh, um, about learning to perform musically is that you have to find those moments to mm-hmm. launch into the songs and you develop this habit of, um, just going for it. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, which is something that I can see in your non-musical improv happen all the time of just that on a dime, you'll be able to know exactly what is, um, uh, compelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? uh, um, what would be an example for you of a, a useful, simple, good want that a person can craft a show out of versus kind of a complicated or, uh, or, less practical want for a show yeah uh, well when we uh you know in, in class we always say uh y- you want uh, the want needs to be um relatable yeah uh it needs to uh not be something that can be achieved easily like you can't you, the hero's want can't be to make a sandwich yeah or something like that um uh but it should also you know uh also be uh something that everybody can kind of relate to so, you know, uh, like I'd say a good 80% of musicals are built around the want of um, I want more out of life. Um, like if you uh, just if you were to go down like a list of musicals, I think you'd notice a good 80% of, um, you know, want songs are about, you know, more out of life. Is this all there is? I want more. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, you know, uh, the best wants are usually like, dreams like i want to be um i want to be a star or uh i want to cure polio mm-hmm. or something like that uh um what do you say to somebody who maybe struggles with what they want or struggles with an emotional sense somebody who's a good solid improviser but for whatever reason the word emotion or the word want kind of brings static up in their mind mm. uh you know the that that comes up sometimes, uh, like especially in, in the higher levels, um, you get people who are uh, r- r- very strong players, um, but who for whatever reason have trouble, yeah, emotionally committing. Yeah. Um, and there's no easy answer to that. You yeah. gotta, um, it's something that you gotta keep working at. Um, and you know, allowing yourself to be emotionally vulnerable on stage is, is tricky. Um, uh, so for those people, again, I I would say you gotta start simple. Yeah. Um. You know, uh, you know, even if it's just like choosing something from your life, like what is something that you would want? Um, like, well, like th- think five years down the line, where do you want to be? Mm-hmm. Um, and then ask yourself why and how do you feel when you envision that thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can do that, 
then all you got to do now is sing about it um, without being ironic about yeah, it. Yeah. I, um, you know, Don Powell, uh, novelist Don Powell. I don't know. Um, she wrote in the twenties and thirties and, uh, this is, uh, going to be a horribly pretentious thing to say, but <laughs> she wrote something uh once that i i really enjoyed and she uh, i'm gonna kind of mangle the quote a little bit and again i apologize to you for uh, how embarrassingly uh, over the top this is but she said that uh, the uh um uh the uh, uh the tragedy of mankind is our helplessness in the face of death and disease and war and poverty and that the comedy of mankind is our, uh, uh, in light of those things, our helplessness in the face of our own vanity, which mm. uh, um, for me kind of like really neatly summarizes a, a, a really winning perspective on what makes comedy so enjoyable is that in the face of reality and in the face of where we know our lives are going to be taking us, we still get hung up on our own egos, you know, they're constantly mangling our perceptions of things and constantly leading us to act out in ways that mm-hmm. may not be to our own best advantage. But it's funny when you sort of realize like, um, oh, the thing that's so lovable about us in the perspective of comedy is exactly what's wrong with us or exactly oh, yeah. what's weird about us. And that's one of the things that I, I think is sort of interesting in a musical format, there's like a certain love of cheese and cheesiness. Mm-hmm. Because when you get into that realm of like accessing people's dreams about themselves, yeah. you're really diving into something that we all feel to greater or lesser degrees and all have learned at about 11 or 12 years old to conceal <laughs> exactly. to the best of yeah, our yeah. abilities because it's embarrassing as hell. <laughs> yeah. And so it's almost like uncorking the genie out of that embarrassment bottle because you're really diving into the fact that there's layers upon layers of cheesy, embarrassing sentiment and vanity and mm-hmm. ego that's all locked up with our dreams about the kind of person that we want to be yeah. the kind of person that we're afraid we might be and it seems to me that like it, in the best of scenarios musicals in general have such an incredible way of tapping into that and and celebrating it uh, uh in a way that generates just kind of high spirits among people yeah when i think of good musicals i think of high spirits big emotions and mm-hmm. high spirits you know yeah absolutely um yeah, and I think, you know, and and for that reason, you know, uh, that kind of uh, idea that musicals are all, you know, uh, big and cheesy and, uh, you know, uh, often ridiculous, uh, you know, is, is kind of the reason why often it gets dismissed. Right, sure. It's kind of like a, as an art form. Um, and, uh, but, you know, the best musicals also find ways to, um, you know, pack an emotional punch yeah. as well. Uh, like I always think of like cabaret, mm-hmm. which is, um, you know, it, it is, uh, silly and fun and body and all that stuff. Uh, but you know, uh, at the end you will cry yeah. because it is, uh, you know, it, it can be gut wrenching that, yeah. like, especially that final reveal at the very end. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's that, and again, it's a very, very fine line. You want to, you, you do want it to be big. Uh, and you do want it to um, be fun. Yeah. Uh, but you also want to make sure that uh, it's not just big and fun because then it's just like shapoopy. Uh, right. It's <laughs> non yeah. 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 It it makes me think of those cakes that are just all uh, um, uh, cream. Mm-hmm. 
you know, it, 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 there's a sweetness to it that by the time you get down to the bottom just leaves you feeling... You hate yourself. <laughs> yeah, you feel seasick with it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, um, because it is, it, it, it's fun and it's high-spirited, but at the end of the day, there's also a resonance to it as well. Mm-hmm. Because it's taking a, um, a really primary-colored approach towards getting into the core of, at least I think, and please uh, uh, tell me if I'm being a moron. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, an approach about what we kind of secretly think about ourselves and fe- secretly feel about ourselves. And that you can't help but be really resonant with that. And so there's an artistry to being able to get down to that core through these layers of cheese and fun. Yeah. Going back to your point, though, for a second, though, of like that being the reason why musicals aren't taken terribly seriously. Uh, um, do you think that's a good thing? I, in my mind, when something isn't taken very seriously and it's sort of discarded as like not lofty. Mm-hmm. That's also means that there's a certain amount of kind of frontier territory to it where you can do things yeah. with it because we haven't yet codified of like, Oh no, that's the right approach. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think you're right. And it, it seems like, you know, uh, like a lot of the things I love in life, uh, are not taken very seriously. Yeah. I love, you know, like science fiction, um, or, uh, or comic books, uh, you know, stuff like that. Um, and uh, yeah, I think you're right. There is that kind of spirit of like, um, no one's looking, so let's go crazy, or yep. like let's um, let's really push the boundaries of what's possible here. Um, and yeah, there, there is that kind of element to it. Um, but you know, I think you know anyone would agree that you know uh, who was it that said you know um, about was it about science fiction? Like, sure, ninety percent of science fiction is crap. But 90% of everything is crap. Right. Um, and uh, I think, you know, that's true of musicals as it is just about uh, everything else. True of non-musical improv. Yeah. Certainly. <laughs> yeah. You see an awful lot of crap before you get to the good stuff. Yeah. So what would be in your mind an example of truly compelling, truly resonant, uh, uh, beautiful? Like what what transcends the form? What What would be an example where the chemistry happens just right, where people have created something that actually captures that magic mm. uh it's uh you know it's tricky um i'd say uh we have a you know a few a few teams that have been together for a long time yeah. we'll find those moments of magic yeah. occasionally um you know i'm musical megawatt right now we've got a few veteran teams uh that are doing very very good work uh we got like aquarius min condition and legend mm-hmm. um and uh you know all of our teams are great but those three have been together the longest and those are the people who've been uh working at this for the longest. Uh, And it's not to say that they don't have, you know, bad shows from time to time. As do we all. But we all, yep, oh gosh. (laughs) Yes, we do. Um, uh, But like, uh, you know, uh, there there are those moments watching these teams uh, when they'll realize, when they'll kind of like the group mind just comes together in this amazing way and you'll come up with a musical number that manages to be both uh, very silly uh, and very free, but also surprisingly, like emotionally true. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen that happen a few times with all of those teams, and it's always uh, amazing. Mm-hmm. I, um, I'm trying to think of like an example, and nothing's coming to mind right now. But like the, the way that like some of the most beautiful things about a person are so entangled with, um, um the stream of bullshit that we tell ourselves about mm-hmm. ourselves and tell each other about ourselves. And there's something really surprising and, um, 
and engaging when you have an artistic experience where what at first seems to be a stream of bullshit leads you into having to reckon with somebody and having to have a really clear sense of who this person is or of a sincerity at the heart of them that, that kind of catches you by surprise, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, um, uh, what would be, let's say, cause I, the, let's say someone's listening to, to this podcast who's sort of away from a major city and away from access to seeing a lot of musical mm. improvisation, but they're really, uh, um, turned on by putting something together. What would be some words of advice that you could offer them to give them a good start? Uh, <clears throat> that's tough. Cause you know, unfortunately, you know, with, uh, with musical improv, uh, it does not work without an accompanist. Mm-hmm. You, you can't, um, you can't do a good musical improv show without a good accompanist. Uh, and that's why the magnet is so lucky to have Frank Spitznagel, mm-hmm. um, as our musical director. Um, and so, uh, I, you know, I don't want to tell that, uh, listener listening far away. Uh, I don't want to tell them to despair. Um, uh, but if you if you know if if you're interested in um, trying first you have to watch musicals mm-hmm. uh, if it's something that you're interested in trying out you have to uh, just you know watch musicals to get a sense for you know uh, what's possible what are you know what are the what are the tropes what are the big uh, ones for you what are the ones that you come back to uh, you know for musical improv especially um, I would say uh, Little Shop of Horrors mm-hmm. um, Little Shop is great because uh, it's it's very funny. Um, also very emotionally committed. Um, and also the song structures that you encounter in Little Shop are um, great examples of the structures that we learn in musical improv level one mm-hmm. um, so that, you know, uh, we know how to craft a song so it doesn't just go on forever and mm-hmm. ever and ever. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I'd say that's kind of step number one. You have to uh, learn the song structures first. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to be able to do that before you can take your show uh, anywhere you have to learn how an opening number works. You have to learn how to do a verse chorus song, a chorus verse song, a tagline song, and a trio. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once you've got those under your belt, that plus uh, you know improv experience, then you can kind of start to experiment and find out what's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know one thing I always tell people who uh, find musical improv or uh, you know fall in love with it that uh, you can't be a good musical improviser if you're not a good improviser. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, just because, you know, there are some people who will find, you know, uh, come into level one having taken no regular improv before. Again, I'm using regular as a, uh, yeah, <laughs> just I, a term it, for it, lack of a There's no way term. to say it. There's no way. It sounds so insulting to everybody. <laughs> exactly. That's what makes it work is everybody is <laughs> yeah, we're all... insulted, so it's okay. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'll, I'll get some students who uh, encounter musical improv first. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, they fall in love with it, which I completely understand. Um because you know I did, but um, you uh, you know there's no way that you can just do musical improv. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to have to have to go through uh, a non musical program as well and get all of those skills under your belt. Um, uh, because you know that's that's the that's the base. That's right. what you're always returning to. Your musical will be terrible um, if you don't have good basic scene work. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know. Uh, so again, thinking about this uh, imaginary <laughs> lonely person listening to this podcast, well, um, they may not be lonely. Oh uh, well, they, they uh, could have a lot of friends. I'm just... imagining it's raining and they're looking out the window. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I just want to make up a musical. Um, so uh, yeah, um, learn song structures. 
don't neglect uh, your uh, you know basic uh, improv uh, skills. Work those muscles. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if you don't have an accompanist and you want to start trying to uh, you know make up your own songs, um, one thing that you can do, I guess, would be to find like karaoke tracks on YouTube mm-hmm. and just start making up your own words mm-hmm. to those. Um, that's one. Uh, one way otherwise you just gotta you know you gotta find the people who are also you know as excited about this stuff as you are yeah um is that uh, uh let's come up with an exercise together right now assuming this isn't already an exercise okay. uh, uh uh pulling some karaoke tracks online mm-hmm. how would you if you were coaching somebody via skype uh, uh, how would you coach them to hone their point of view and find a way in to develop a really compelling scene using only that scratch track? You mean like the scene into the song or yeah. just the song itself? Yeah. Let's say, let's say that they like improvised a two person scene. Let's say, let's use our, our lonely kid <laughs> in the attic on the rainy day. Let's assume his parents are fighting downstairs too. So, <laughs> so he's about to go into a scene. He's going to play both the parts himself because he has no friends because he, he's learned that the world is not a safe place because of his parents. <laughs> great. Great. Okay. So he's going into a scene, uh, uh, um, uh, and is about to launch into a song, but having no friends, he then turns on his scratch track from YouTube mm-hmm. of the karaoke song. What would he or she want to focus on in order to uh, um, create a song that beautifully f- focuses uh, uh, the dramatic weight of the scene that he or she has just created? Mm. Jesus, there was a simpler way I could have said that. <laughs> no, no, it's great. Um, so, you know, uh, first of all, I think, you know, you want to, uh, one thing when, when the song happens in, mm-hmm. in, a, in an improv scene, you want to think about uh, who should sing first. Um, it's, um, you know, it's, it sounds very simple, but it often gets overlooked. Uh, and it's very jarring for the audience when, uh, you know, I say something that uh, inspires the piano to play, yeah. and then you start singing. Yeah. Like, the audience notices, and it, yeah. just, it feels wrong. So, number one, figure out, is this uh, the mom character or the dad character who should be singing first? <laughs> we can't assume uh, that the kid is <laughs> improvising a scene about his parents <laughs> trying to <laughs> work out there. <laughs> He's acting out. His mom, his mom and his dad, they're fighting downstairs. Great. He's going to sing it. Um, and so, is it, yep, yeah, is it the mom or is it the dad? Um, and then... Um, you know, and again, keep it simple and emotional, um, especially, you know, let, let's assume that this is a verse chorus song, mm-hmm. for example. Um, uh, keep it simple. Keep it emotional. Uh, try Just try and be uh, express these feelings as simply as possible. Uh, and the verse should be uh, a little more conversational. That's how, you know, um, you know, uh, you, you can use a lot of words in your verse to get out these thoughts and these feelings. Uh, but again, erring on the side of keeping it basic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the chorus is going to kick in after those first four lines of music. Um, and the chorus is where you want to uh, really distill the emotion mm-hmm. behind what's happening and think, how can I make the, take this emotion, make it big, and make it, again, very, very simple. Uh, and you want to express that in as few words as possible. Um, you don't even have to use words if you don't want to in the chorus. Um, but, you know... Um, in improv, one of the tricky things is that we always get um, these, uh, you know, we'll get a suggestion from the audience and our brain kind of goes into association overdrive a little bit where mm-hmm. it's like, you know, what do I, you know, if it's p- potato and then, um, you know, you you start flipping through your brain about everything you associate with potato. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my gosh, um, Ireland, uh, potato famine, 1840s, New York City, Tammany Hall. And it just gets very complicated very mm-hmm. quickly. 
Um, and uh, you can't do that with, with, with a chorus. Uh, in like uh, five or six words max, you just want to kind of say, how exactly do I feel? Mm-hmm. Um, Literally spelling it out like that. Mm-hmm, yep. There's no room for subtlety. It's a musical. So uh, subtlety is we've, we've thrown subtlety out the window. Uh-huh. We're, we're and, painting uh, with a brighter palette. <laughs> exactly. We're avoiding the earth tones. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and uh, so, yeah. Uh, and you, and don't, and don't hesitate to be as direct as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, uh, again, if it's the mom and the dad are fighting and this poor little boy is working at his, uh, both parts, maybe he just sings, I want a divorce. I want a divorce. Divorce me now. I want a divorce. Yeah. That's the chorus and you're done. Yeah. Uh, and you got to make it as big as possible. Draw out those vowels, um, and, uh, and feel it and feel it and sell it. Uh, so much of, you know, making a successful, uh, song on the spot is uh is selling it in the moment um you know kind of fake it till you make it Mm -hmm. thing um and then uh and then you go back to the verse maybe now you hear the dad character or the mom character whoever you know did not sing the first verse uh then gets the their chance to explain their point of view and then we go back to the chorus Mm -hmm. um and uh maybe both characters sing it maybe just one of them sings it well you know we'll figure that out in the moment um it's hard for this little kid to to do both, I guess. Um, Let's assume he's uh, like a really precocious <laughs> kid. Uh, he's got wigs and he's, uh, he's ready. He's he's ready. He's got a whole attic at his disposal. Uh, and then, so after that second chorus, then you go into the bridge, uh, and the bridge is your chance to um, kind of uh, you know uh, explore a different take on what you've already established. Uh, the bridge is going to be musically different. And it's also going to uh, be different in, like, uh, content and in tone. Mm-hmm. Um, the bridge is uh, very often like a, uh, a but-wait moment or a what-if moment or, like, a secret confession. Um, so if, you know, the verses are all about how you've ruined my life and I want to, uh, to divorce you, then maybe the bridge is like, uh, but remember the good old days. Mm-hmm. Um, remember when we first met. Or, um, but what about our son up in mm-hmm. the attic? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so sad and lonely uh, <laughs> who's losing his mind in the attic um and then uh but then after that after you have that moment of like but wait uh then you go back to the final chorus and uh it's even bigger and you got to end big and uh, really stick that landing there mm-hmm. at the end uh um i've stolen uh something from you oh i credit you for it Whenever I bring it up, but I was eavesdropping on you teaching a, a, an intro class one mm-hmm. time, and um, I stole your explanation of chorus and verse, and particularly mm-hmm. bridge, uh, and I use it in my Harold classes oh. on having people focus on points of view because I found that idea of, of there being thinking about a character's point of view in non-musical improv, and the way that I think about it is. Uh, um, it's your point of view about yourself, not necessarily about your situation or about your scene partner, but this is the one that you have about yourself. The story that you tell yourself of I'm this kind of person. Mm-hmm. I'm brilliant. Yeah. I'm, I'm dumb. I am fabulous looking. Uh, yeah. uh, nobody wants to go to bed with me. You know what I mean? Like whatever the hell it is. Uh, um, uh, you know, success is right or whatever, whatever. Uh, um, that being the kind of chorus to your character, the thing that you repeat about yourself all the time, the bridge being those 
periodic moments of self-doubt where you ask mm-hmm. yourself, maybe yeah. I'm not this kind of person. Maybe maybe I'm not as great looking as I think I am. Maybe I am great looking. Maybe my vanity turns people off or yeah. whatever. Or like, or I'll get old. Or, yeah. Right, yeah. It, it And I have found that to be such an incredibly useful way to um, not only get a lot more um, uh, specifics in mm-hmm. the point of view, but to challenge my own point of view um, to be able to now sort of have, have a foot in two different worlds. Mm-hmm. Here's my dream about myself. Here's the kind of person I think I am. And here's my anxieties about myself. Here's the kind of person I think I might be. And being able to alternate back and forth between those two things mm-hmm. will oftentimes be enough of an engine to drive a whole damn show. Yeah. You just need those two. And basically, you know how to react to anything that's thrown your way. Anything that comes close to having to force you to confront your anxieties mm-hmm. makes you recoil and makes you nervous and makes you act out in, yeah. a, in a way to stop that from happening. Anything that butters up your ego and helps to fulfill the story that you want to believe about yourself makes you open up towards that experience and mm-hmm. makes you act out in a way to keep more of that going on. And so it's a really, really useful way to think about uh, um, not only how you feel inside and be able to be in touch with those responses. Mm-hmm but how you're supposed to act on it, which to me is it's not enough to just have an emotional reaction. Yeah. That emotion has to prompt you to act. You yeah. have to take that action. So that leads into my next question about how to build a bigger story. Mm-hmm. So let's say we start off for anybody curious. We're listening to Rick Andrews level one class in the background and they are loud. They're noisy. They're rambunctious. Ah, they're having a great time. They're, they're having are. a fun time, but let's be honest, they're <laughs> out of control. Uh, uh, um, so let's use our kid again in the attic. who's just sung this story from his dad's point of view about how he wants a divorce. Mm-hmm. And that's our, our first song. Uh, um, if that's the beginning what would you say would be the end that we're aiming for? Mm. Uh, well, uh, we uh, we want to find out, again, keeping it as simple as possible, uh, is the divorce going to happen or not? Mm-hmm. Um, and it literally should be that simple. And I, you, uh, you can't go wrong either way. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe if they reconcile, cool. Uh, if they do get the divorce, cool. But we want to find out. Um, it's very helpful, I've found, like when thinking about narrative uh, improv, is to think about, like, um, what is the audience hoping to see and what is the audience expecting to see? Mm-hmm. Um, based on what we've done so far, uh, what, what do they want? Um, and usually, you know, if you think about it that way, then the answers become quite easy. Um, and it's never as complicated as we think it might be on stage in the moment. Mm-hmm. It, it, even if we go the route of he's going for the divorce, even mm-hmm. if in the very next scene he takes those steps for divorce proceedings, yeah. now that opens up the whole new world of what is life like after the divorce. Exactly, yeah. Um, uh, and that's a beautiful place to begin. Where I've seen shows that, to me, have felt like they go nowhere. Mm-hmm, because you're holding on to that ending. You're yep. holding on to it and, like, saving it for the very, very end. Yep. And it's like, what the hell do we do in the middle? Exactly. Know, yeah, yeah. And I've um, this is something I've been encountering in level three. Um, in musical level three is when you kind of, uh, you, you learn how to do... Um, uh, narrative um like ryan and duncan in level musical level two will introduce like the basic narrative structure mm-hmm. and then in level three is where we try to open it up a little bit and like explore different types of stories that you can tell through a musical on stage and uh one thing i've been you know uh, i try to get into students heads is the idea that 
um, you can pull the trigger on these things because often dealing with consequences is going to be a lot more interesting mm-hmm. and lead to more interesting discoveries for you guys on stage than for holding on to this little thing like it's a precious gem that we have to save for the very, very end. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, um, uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. It, it, that can be such a scary thing, especially when you're balancing the weight of having to tell a story, having to be mm-hmm. funny, having to choreograph spontaneous dances and songs. Yeah. Very scary thing to just do what you just said you want to do. Yeah. I mean, the the reverse of that is true, too. Let's say that the song that was being sung was about how I want to be divorced. Mm-hmm. But instead of singing that song to your wife, you're singing that song to um, yourself or to the imaginary audience mm-hmm. in your head. Which, by the way, another thing I really enjoy about musicals is the way that you oftentimes, it embodies that feeling when mm-hmm. you're directing your thoughts or your monologue to the audience in your head. It's just like sitting with rapt attention to everything that you have to say. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> uh, um, let's say that that song is being sung to the audience in your head rather than to your wife. So we mm-hmm. know what this guy's inner life is about. It might be the resistance of all these other stories that he's telling himself about why he can't get a divorce. Mm-hmm. In which case, it's still a really active thing. You're watching him actively deny what he really wants. You know? Yeah. Uh, um, uh, um, Sometimes I was reading this interesting thing recently about uh, um, subjects and objects and the way that uh, um, like dramatically compelling behavior, you cast yourself as the subject who's acting out. Whereas when you're the object, things happen to you. Mm -hmm. You don't have much control. Sometimes, and this happens in all formats of improv, things can get so busy and so, um, Uh, top-heavy with ideas, that all the characters are basically demoted to objects. Things are now just randomly happening, and people are sort of colliding into each other, sort of like uh, billiard balls, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, But you're not seeing anybody actually take an action, make a choice, Mm -hmm. make a decision uh, uh, to change their situation. So, So I guess two questions. When a show is in that place where everybody is now an object... Is that show now dead in the water? Hmm. Can it be salvaged? And if it can be salvaged, what would be a decision that somebody could make in that moment to help sort of get it back on focus, to help aim it in a direction and not just have it be a series of events that are kind of randomly happening? Yeah, Um, it it certainly it it can be salvaged. Uh, Of course, it will depend on how far along into the show you are. Uh, You know, I'm talking about scene two. (laughs) Okay, all right, scene two. Uh, Then you got uh, you got plenty of time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Then it's again, it's um, uh, you know, it's it's just like any any improv scene where you you notice um, that things might be going slightly off the rails. You know, I think some of the most helpful improv advice I might have ever got was from uh, Rachel Hamilton back mm-hmm. when I was taking level two. Mm-hmm. Uh, she said, if you ever find yourself in that situation where you don't know what's happening or it feels like you've gotten away from where you started, just make eye contact with your scene partner and make a statement about how you feel. Mm-hmm. Um, that will set the train to rights um, 95% of the time. And um, I've found that to be very, very true. And it's the same in musical. You just kind of got to, again, recommit to your original uh, emotional choice. And if you can do that, if you really do that, then it will hopefully, um, if you can heighten that, and uh, then it will lead to more discoveries, uh, and you will find yourself compelled to act. Mm -hmm. I think the reason that, you know, 
we uh we we might hesitate from doing that is maybe a sense of politeness mm-hmm. uh for on stage like you know if i if i do this i'm um i'm gonna uh, throw off what my scene partner is doing and we just have to remember you know that our scene partner won't be mad at us for making a strong choice they will you know they'll thank us mm-hmm. um so uh yeah if you do that and if you allow that choice to uh, uh to lead to an action then you know then all of a sudden you're cooking again and you can find things and then make more interesting connections yeah do you think it's fair to say that when you have your first scene and it becomes clear where these characters are at emotionally do you think it's fair to say that the ending is more or less determining itself yeah uh i i'd say so and again uh it's important to realize that that's not necessarily a bad thing. Right. In fact, that's a gift to you guys on stage. Sometimes, you know, in the moment you can think, ah, it's too obvious or it's not interesting enough. Um, but a lot of times the obvious thing is exactly, mm-hmm. we outsmart ourselves and don't do that. And the obvious thing is exactly what an audience is just craving. Absolutely. To Absolutely. And just because, you know, and just because the ending is kind of, you know, for, uh, again, predetermined in quotation marks, um, uh, that doesn't mean there's not room to make discoveries and to play. Like, you know, think about, sometimes I think about like a sonnet, yeah. you know, um, and forgive me if this is very, very pretentious. Uh, but, you know, a sonnet is, you know, uh, has a very, very strict structure right. to it. Yeah. Um, it has to be written in a certain way. Uh, but there are also hundreds of sonnets written about uh, the wonderful freedom that the structure of the sonnet provides. Right. Uh, and uh, that's kind of how I think about like narrative structures and, um, Stuff like that, because again, for especially for an improv show, the story itself is not as important as the fun stuff we discover along the way. Mm-hmm. And if we have the um, you know the narrative structure pay off at the end, then it's just like a uh, a cherry on top of the ice cream sundae. Yeah, yeah. I I it's interesting because I think narrative structure can be such a foreign concept to people who have spent years training on Harold's. Mm-hmm. Um, where, where it is a little bit more about kind of freely growing and seeing where it takes us mm-hmm. and seeing how different unrelated things come together. Um, that it can feel a little bit artificial to think sure. about like, okay, what I just did in the beginning is determining where the ending is going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, one of the best things I ever heard was in a Dave Rizowski class. And I only agree with this about 50% of the time. <laughs> sometimes I find I totally agree. Sometimes I don't, but he, he made the comment that if you're, if your arms are crossed at the beginning of a scene, by the end of that scene, your arms should be uncrossed. Mm that early on you're declaring what it is about this character that's going to grow and evolve and change by the end of it. Mm. Now, again, 50% of the time, I sure. agree, 50% I don't. Sometimes it's about uh, um, the ways in which our behavior is stereotyped, the ways in which we kind of repeat the same things over and over again and can't escape the gravity well yeah. of our own behavior. I often tell students that comedy does not come from growth and change. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, but good storytelling does. Mm-hmm. Good storytelling definitely, we start in a very specific place and we end in a very specific place. Now, even if we're ending, even if we're ending with the dad at the very end of the show still hasn't gotten a divorce, mm-hmm. But now he's up to three bottles of wine of day or yeah. something. Uh, um, it's still about sort of watching him actively choose not to change. Yeah. And then tell himself that he had no choice in the matter. Yep. You know, uh, um, I think for 
watching a story develop over time and having this idea that, well, this can basically go in one of two directions and the ending is already there in the beginning. Mm -hmm. If I choose either of these directions, either I act on what I want and I see the consequences of it Mm -hmm. or I hold myself back on what I want and I see what that does to me. Mm -hmm. Either way, there's going to be consequences. Yeah. Uh, It seems to me like there is a tremendous amount of freedom in recognizing that you simplified that for yourself and recognizing that that doesn't mean you're a bad improviser, that the Mm -hmm. ending is implicit in the beginning. It means that the audience now has an expectation of exactly where this is going to go. And your job is to get us there in a surprising way. Exactly. Yeah. Well said. (laughs) What in your dream life is the future of Musical Megawatt? How would you like to see that show evolve? Oh, gosh. Um, uh, I would like to see, uh, moving ahead, uh, more per, uh, more performance opportunities, yeah. uh, especially for, like, our veteran improvisers. Uh, you know, uh, at the moment, you know, spaces, there's just not enough room for, for everybody right now. Um, and we have people who've been at this for years and who are great at it. Uh, I would love to find some way to uh, showcase them uh, maybe even outside of a Tuesday, uh, outside of Tuesday nights, for example, mm-hmm. um, I would love to see the program uh, expand. Right now, and we're almost at capacity for Tuesday nights. We've got uh, currently eight teams, and um, we at the moment the way the schedule works, we can't really accommodate anymore. So part of my job is going to be figuring out um, how can we accommodate more. Uh, and as we go along, I don't, uh, I'm always, you know, excited to see how the teams, you know, uh, experiment with storytelling, like finding different ways to tell uh, stories on stage musically. Um, and, you know, musical improv is still uh, still fairly new and there's no um, there's not a whole lot of, uh, I guess, dogma attached to it right now. So kind of sky's the limit. Uh, and how can we, you know, push the uh the boundaries of what um you know is already kind of expected mm-hmm. of us um and that's some you know some uh, something i uh sometimes so oh, i spend a lot of time thinking about this is you know um on the one hand i do want you know the shows to uh tell good you know strong satisfying stories um and i want them to be uh you know musically uh strong but sometimes i um Wonder if I if that's too limiting for what's happening. Mm-hmm. Again, we're kind of uh, you know it's kind of a new frontier in a lot of respects, and I'm very curious to see how teams can uh, stretch uh, stretch themselves and see what's possible out there. Uh, and so finding ways to kind of foster that spirit of uh, exploration, uh, I have no idea how I'm going to do that. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, uh, but that's certainly up there that's what makes it exciting isn't it when you know exactly how you're gonna do it you can execute it well but it loses some of that romance of yeah you gotta like find your path in the jungle yeah yeah um uh yeah i'd say uh, that that's that's what's been on my mind recently for for the night yeah Michael Lutton, thank you for talking. Oh, thank you for having me, Lewis. It's been a pleasure. Likewise. <laughs> uh, uh, this has been the Magnet Theater Podcast. Uh, uh, thanks to Grant Goldberg, our engineer, and Evan Barden, our producer. Uh, we have been discussing today with the fantastic Michael Lutton. Uh, uh, I've been Lewis Kornfeld. Thanks for listening. Um, please check us out online to find out more about who we are and what we do. That website is magnettheater.com. Information on classes and shows and all kinds of wonderful stuff. Uh, 
thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you're having uh, good lives. Just, you know, live it well. Hey, get in the attic. Cheer up. It's going to be okay, you know. They'll figure it out. (laughs) They made their bed. Bye. You've been listening to the Magnet Podcast. 